Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Tuesday afternoon. Joining us from New York City, before he heads over to the Brooklyn Nets press conference, they got themselves a new coach, Tim Bontemps. Hello, everybody. Good to see somebody can join us again. Are you looking forward to going to see the Nets' new coach, Kevin Ollie? Sure. <laughs> good answer. Good. Uh, you know what I'm not looking forward to? A late night, Tuesday night practice availability after uh, about two hours probably after a GM availability. That's so uh, it's always a delightful way well, to listen, spend a day. Uh, all of that will have already happened by the time this pod posts, but it's true. You never know what Sean Marks will say in a press it's conference. True. Who knows what will happen? Who knows? I've known Kevin Ollie for over 20 years. This is when the, my gray hair is coming out. People thought he was going to be an NBA coach long before this. It got a little sideways there at UConn, but always enjoy talking to Kevin Ollie. So hopefully uh, things get better. And See better. how it goes. Joining us from Dallas, Texas. He's back after his own little all-star breaks, Ben McMahon. Howdy, partners. I uh, enjoyed a little siesta in Puerto Rico. Did not enjoy the multiple shots that I heard taken at me during my all-star break, uh, primarily from the USWB, the wet blanket himself. Tim Bontemps, bitter that he had to go to Indianapolis. Well, I got to go to Puerto Rico, but it is good to be back. I will well, say this. I was I was a little jealous. I was a little jealous. Now, before before we start, though, because I don't think McMahon knows about this, we have some breaking news today, McMahon. I don't oh. know if you're aware. Let's hear it. Now, it's it's interesting. Brian's wearing a Firestone Country Club shirt here. Uh, Brian, for Which the I listeners, where- where I paid for. Well, I understand. That's, <laughs> well. not, that's not the point. Where is Firestone Country Club located, Brian? Akron, Ohio. Well, McMahon, and for the listeners, on September 14th, there's a big event happening in Akron. You aware of this, McMahon? I'm not. So on Akron, on September 14th in Akron, Ohio, the Akron Rubber Ducks, AA affiliate of the Guardians, I almost said the former team, they're doing a bobblehead giveaway. Oh, I think I know where this is going. (laughs) There was a tweet today at 1.48 Eastern time. Oh. We are going to honor Akron native, oh. Linhorst ESPN, with a bobblehead wow. giveaway on September 14th. The first 1,000 fans will receive a Brian Winhorst bobblehead. Now, this we have questions. Phenomenal. First question, have you been consulted on the bobblehead? No, and I think that might have been a mistake that I haven't given prior, prior review. So you have no idea what this is going to look like? No. Wow. Okay, second second question. Second question. As part of this honoring, are we throwing out the first pitch at the game? It has been offered. It's going to be Brian Winhorst Day. It has been offered, but not yet accepted. That's still under negotiation. Not yet accepted. Negotiation. Not yet accepted. Wait a minute. What are we negotiating? I got to decide whether or not how bad I want to embarrass myself. Listen, man, just you don't have to get up on the on the rubber or the duck. Just uh, (laughs) get below the, the mound on flat ground and just lob one in there. Yeah, you gotta, that's you gotta do the first pitch. You gotta do the first pitch. Jackson says if you don't throw out oh wow. He he says if you don't throw throw from the top of the mound, he's muting you on the pot. I was gonna say if you don't throw out a first pitch, but Jackson, Jackson's- that is the throwing from the top of the mound is where infamy is born. <laughs> yes. There's 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 a lot of risk involved there. I, I well, say get on flat ground and let it rip. Well, this is a very cool thing. I I think I could speak for McMahon that this is uh you have before. I'm I'm very well. This is I'm one of the few times I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah. Very exciting. Congratulations. It's a very cool thing. And I guess we're going to have to go to Akron, Ohio in mid September, big man. Oh, listen here. Good planning. Good planning. Ohio State has a bye that weekend. Ooh. Yeah. Rubber ducks, no marketing, baby. They know how to <laughs> seize the moment. Let me tell you something. I've loft, I've often said if you want great, if you want a great entertainment, come to September AA baseball. Because Listen, I'm all for it. it. I'm hoping we can get get some Rubber Ducks merch too. They have good merch. I will. Well, uh, K-Bon has already requested one or more bobbleheads. So, oh, there will be a bobblehead. Well, there's only a thousand, so I'm told. Well, make a thousand, uh, like three or four, so I can get my hands <laughs> on one too. The secondary market will be uh, interesting on those. Well, um, congratulations, Brian. That is very yeah. Cool. Well, I, I didn't do anything, but thank you, the Rubber Ducks. So, I was at the opening of that stadium in the '90s. Canal Park in Akron, Ohio. Anyway, we talk about the NBA and we talked about, we uh, will talk about this all-star game. And look, uh, don't turn this off if you haven't already. Don't turn this off because you think (laughs) that we're going to be just bitching about the all-star game and, you know, like what happened there. Um, I'm more interested in 
instead of complaining about it. By the way, a good showing by your your guy Luca there, uh, McMahon. <laughs> I was in Puerto Rico. You think I gave a McMahon crap? had no idea what happened on Sunday. <laughs> well, you know what though? In all honesty, <laughs> I kind of I kind of respect true. it. I he I kind of respect it. He kind of gave I more it than respected. It was great. Yeah. I was happy for him. That's why I was taking shots at him. I was that no, happy. No, no, no. He said not, Luca. He didn't respect I me. Mean, he obviously, oh, okay. I, I respect McMahon, but ah. uh, I respect Luca for giving the, ga- the the game its proper attention. Uh, but uh, Bontemps, you were there. Although I will say, McMahon, you know the NBA players all like immediately sprint to the airport as soon as the game is oh, over. Yeah. I think I looked on the flight tracking. There was at least six flights to Cabo. There's probably other flights that were. Well, Luca, uh, according to his Instagram, there's a there's a Croatian island called Kirk, K R K. Maybe it's a group of islands. Anyways, he was IGing from there, so <laughs> I, I would assume he tried to get you know he, he tried to get to the front of the line because he had the furthest to go. Well, when you got a max contract, you can get that uh, G five from uh, Indianapolis uh, to Kirk. When you've got new ownership that's worth thirty some odd billion, you can get a nice private jet to to well, use for. Don't necessarily don't make that assumption. That's a, that's salary caps or convention. Oh, um, I would never assume. Anyway, but but Bontemps <laughs> blew blew out of town that that night too. He, I don't know if it was by private jet. I just know that by the next morning he was in New York City. That's all I know. I don't know how he got I there. I can I can promise it was not by private jet. <laughs> but I was on my couch by nine forty five a.m. Eastern time, Monday morning, and quite happy about it. Having said that, McMahon, I know of several times in the last few years that Bontemps has been on private jet. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Several different occasions. All right. Anyway. I'm a jet setter. Another guy who blew out of town and with a frown on his face was Adam Silver on a private jet. You had a very interesting story, Bontemps, that ran after the game on ESPN.com. It was like none of the other stories that I read about the game. And I wondered if you could set the scene for... What went on after the game and also what you think it all means? Yeah, so I will give you partial credit for it because as I was going down in Indianapolis, to make a long story short, it's kind of an awkward setup to get down to the event level in Gamebridge Fieldhouse where the game was. So everybody went down with like three minutes to go in the game. And so I was, and LeBron also was going to speak at the second the game was over and he Mm -hmm. was on the podium virtually the second the game was over. So while LeBron was speaking, the trophy presentation was happening, I believe. I don't think I don't want to say LeBron was in a hurry, but I was told that he left the building in his uniform. That is correct. <laughs> he did leave in his he walked off the podium and went right out and left. And he was still in his still in his uniform. So listen, when you're a veteran of 20 all-star games, you know that getting to the front of the line for the private jets is important. I'll save you 45 minutes. Well, he spent a solid five and a half hours in Indianapolis on <laughs> Sunday. He showed up about five o'clock. He did his interview before the game. He went and played in the game for a half, was ready to get out of there as fast as possible after the game. And Thank you, Indiana. (laughs) Yes. Great weekend in Indiana for LeBron. Um, All that being said, while LeBron is speaking, Adam Silver is giving the trophy out to the the Eastern Conference All-Stars. And you texted me and said, hey, did you see what Silver said? I said, no. So I went and watched it. And for those of you who didn't watch it, he gets handed the microphone by whatever key or whoever the, or Ernie Johnson tossed it to him to hand Mm -hmm. out the trophy. He essentially looks at the, Easter Conference All-Stars and goes, Easter Conference All-Stars, well, you scored the most points. Congratulations. And just essentially just walked away. I mean, the only other thing he could have said was, I hope you're proud of yourselves. (laughs) This was disappointed dad, sarcastically (laughs) admonishing. Well, and and it's it's a lot more than that. Irascible kids. That's what it looked like. Yeah, well, that was that was good use, good word and good use. There you go. Good job. It, it was a lot more than that, though. This was a public embarrassment. Might not even be a strong enough word for Adam mm. Silver. He spent the last calendar year since that game in Salt Lake City a year ago saying this All Star Game has got to be better. He came up with this yep. ridiculous slogan: "We're getting back to basketball this season," which, as I've said several times, as the commissioner of the NBA, deciding that we're getting back to basketball would seem to be leaving out something that maybe you said not. back to back to basketball, not back on defense during the all-star game. Well, and Joe Dumars, who was the head of basketball operations for the league has very loudly and repeatedly said, we're going to have a more competitive all-star game. We've talked to the players about it. We're going to be more invested in it. Adam Silver on Saturday goes out of his way to say, we're going to have a good game tomorrow. 
they were sure there was going to be, they changed the format of the game. Oh, the legends the were like, the, game. the legends were quasi admonishing them slash encouraging them before the game. Larry Bird. Yeah, Larry, yeah. Larry Bird gives a speech to him. Got to try in the game. It was, everything was like, they were sure they were going to get a good game. And they got the exact same game as last year. And Adams, and by the way, it, it, use, it was from the three seconds that I saw, like three minutes, it was worse. It was the same. It, it is what it is. But here's the real thing. To, to Since we're talking about the bobblehead guy today, why was Adam Silver doing that, right? Well, he was doing that because the NBA is in the middle and about to literally walk into the exclusive negotiating rights window for a new television contract. And All-Star Weekend is a huge thing mm-hmm. on Turner's calendar. It's the number one thing Turner has is they got this whole All-Star apparatus they have all these events and they show all this stuff and they do the stuff Saturday. They have the game Sunday. They have a billion people there. And the NBA quite clearly wanted to put on a great show this weekend, be able to walk in and negotiate, say, hey, look at this amazing event we've got. We've got players playing more games because we came up with rules for that. We talked to them about playing in the All-Star game. They did that. Competition's great. Give us all the barrels full of money you can bring in. And quite clearly, that didn't work. Now, the ratings were up. and I think. Your kids all probably enjoyed it because they got to watch their players, their favorite players play, but it didn't accomplish what Adam Silver wanted. And as he walked out, I tried to ask him a question about it. He politely, but pretty strongly said he didn't want to talk, which was fine. But did it, he call it a USWB? No, he he was much more polite than you, as he always is. Right. But he <laughs> declined to talk to me, which like, like I said, was totally fine. But it was quite clear. From his, because he had, he has never acted like that in ten years. It's basically almost exactly ten years on the job. He's never acted like that ever, and it was a clear sign that all these efforts they put into this thing, all the stuff they tried to do, completely failed. And look to me, this is the other part of it. You look across all the sports. You look at baseball. You look at hockey. You look at football. None of these, all of these games and all the sports have all gone in the same direction over the past yes. generation, which to me is fine. I don't, this game does not need to be game seven of the finals. We don't need to have, like, people can hearken back to olden times when guys would show up on Saturday and hang around and do the slam dunk contest and then play in the game on Sunday. My uncle used to go every year to the All-Star game. I was talking about it yesterday. They would be done with the slam dunk contest at like five o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. They would go, they'd watch the old timers play. They'd do the slam dunk contest. They'd be out by like six and then they would go party. It wasn't a seven-hour televised production like it is now. The whole weekend is called All-Star. It's not All-Star Game Weekend. It's All-Star. It's basically Comic-Con for the NBA. It's a giant marketing thing, which is all fine. And the players all want to get picked to the All-Star team. So they can go to All-Star Weekend and be there for three for three days and make a ton of money and do all these sponsor Yeah, I was thinking about Jalen Brunson weeping on the floor when he was named an all-star and then watching. Yeah, just seeing <laughs> the dollar signs. The which, well, by yeah. the way. It's about it's, the honor and the prestige, not the game. Not the right. game, which is fine. It's totally fine. But to me, the NBA either needs to lean into that and say, look, let's have the game Sunday afternoon and just have fun with it and have it be for kids because that's what I think yeah. it's for. Like they do with the practice on Saturday when they got Luca doing all these crazy half court shots and doing all kinds of stuff. Luca was way more interested in Saturday than he was Sunday. Yeah, like just do that or change the format to something like they did with the Rising Stars game on Friday, which by the way, I mean, I'm sure nobody watched it. I didn't watch it on Friday. I didn't watch but those it. Those games, Sorry. those games used to be even worse from a defense standpoint. And now they've got these two short games followed by it's like King of the Hill. You have two two four teams of seven. Two quick games, then you have a winner. Or two, the two winners play, then you're done. And because the games are shorter and the scores are lower, there's a lot more of a chance you're going to have some more competitive action in there, which they have. But the idea that this is some sort of crisis moment for the league, and by the way, you also have this as your marquee temple event of the season, and for two or three days after it, when there's no games going on, all anybody's doing is slamming the league for, oh, players don't care, none of this stuff matters. Like, it's an exhibition game. Like, well, what are we doing? But but what are the solutions? One, just totally lean into it, like you said. Hell, add a four point line. You know, five points from the backcourt. Whatever. Sure. Who gives a crap? Totally They're already game. shooting them anyway. Right. 
This idea that players need to be financially further incentivized, man, shut up. You well, know, that was what up. the players were implying. They were, yeah, you know, they were, like, they were sort of saying without second. They were like, "Well, there's a way." Yeah, well, you know what? Well, there is a way. I don't really want to hear all that. They do, by the way, get money for the winning team. I can't. It's a hundred grand, and then twenty five for the losers. I believe they're saying make it like a hundred and or a million or whatever. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know that throwing more money at guys who make a ton of money is. Oh, listen, going to be good for anything. That well, look, guys will care more if it's a million dollars if you win and zero if you lose. Guys will care more. And honestly, I don't follow baseball closely enough other than the Akron Rubber Ducks to know if this is still a thing where the winner of the All-Star game decides which uh, league no, in baseball. they can't do that. Yeah, can't that, that to me insane. is crazy because like, and, you know, if, if you're going to do that, like what are the Boston Celtics going for the best record in the league for? And like well, you want to you yeah. see a team that's maybe going to coast down to stretch if they've got. Uh, the number one seed locked up in their conference, make them not care what who you know what the situation <laughs> is on top of the other. No, end. no kidding. Well, and there's one other real quick thing too. For Anthony Davis was talking after the game and said, "Look, imagine if somebody had some devastating injury in this game because we were being competitive and a guy was going up for a shot, a dunk, and he got fouled and fell down and broke his leg or something. And like, imagine that happened. Whereas this way is right now, everybody's going back to their teams healthy. And I will just yeah. point out." Everybody thinks back to the 2020 Chicago game with the Elam ending after Kobe died. And I was there. Unbelievable game. Great, great environment. Awesome atmosphere. Great ending. All of it was fun. It was also basically a line of demarcation in Kemba Walker's career. And after he played in that fourth quarter of that game on a already kind of wonky knee, he really was never the same again. So, and I, I know obviously there's some, you're taking some liberties with there because I obviously I didn't look at his knee, but there is a potential cost for having these guys go all out in this game. And if somebody had gotten hurt like that on Sunday, wasn't what would the conversation be now? Wasn't it Pedro Martinez in the 99 All-Star game in uh, in Boston? He like came in and was like through the most vicious stuff we'd ever seen him throw. He was like literally unhittable. And then his like arm, his arm was like never the same after that. I think, would, I think so. I mean, it definitely happened to Brad Penny. I mean, one year Brad Penny came in and threw like a, he was like a softball throwing righty. He threw like 99 or 100 every pitch. Be like, holy cow, this is wild. And the ZRA the rest of the year was like eight. By the way, Jackson informs me that the uh, MLB did away with that whole thing in 2017, which tells you just how much I pay attention to Major League Baseball's All Star well, game. Although I don't yeah. talk about the NBA. Then. Yeah. But anyway, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's just there. I just don't think there's an obvious fix to it. And I also don't think it should be a, state of emergency to fix it either i agree with that it it, it i f- would classify this under the famous Derek coleman quote that applies it so much what the damn do <laughs> like oh it's nothing but dunks and threes no one plays defense who gives a crap it's an exhibition game well i think what's interesting is that okay that's all true and i agree and i don't really get all upset about it or care either way all-star weekend is not for me it's for other it's for fans but I do think it's interesting. Mac ten loves it. Oh, loves it. He loves it. By the way, there was nobody. There, there was nobody more disappointed. There was no. There was nobody in the world more disappointed with Anthony Edwards saying, "I'm never really going to care about an All Star game." Than our guy Dave McMenamin. He was Mac 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 nine now. Mac nine seed, the mayor of weekend. (laughs) Media mayor of All Star weekend. Anyway, there goes your bobblehead. Pedro would throw it now. If Pedro wants to throw off the mound, that would be permitted. Yeah, I might need some lessons. Anthony Edwards um, is going to do it left-handed. <laughs> yeah, we're not even going to get into that. But you know, it's one thing for LeBron twenty All-Star games in to cut short his time there. I think he's uh, he's given his time. It's another thing for a guy in his second All-Star game to uh, make a mockery. But you know, whatever. I mean, or, um, you know, listen, Luca's supposed to be potentially the next face of the NBA, and he could give. Oh, well, very clearly. About the this, this guy averages 35 a game in the real thing. You know, he's leading the league in scoring and he scored seven points. And I will hey, say Kat this. Cat got 50, though. Cat got 50 and was celebrating, baby. Oh, my God. That was amazing. I mean, I, I can't, I don't know if anybody actually watched it, but some of the baskets that uh, Carl Towns scored in the fourth quarter were amazing in their own right. And amazing. They were. Um, they but, were. you know, I. I kind of, you know, Luca is by choice not a great interview, as you have talked about, McMahon. But every now and then, especially when he's sort of being quasi honest or like sort of snarky, 
or sarcastic when he's not targeting you it can, be, <laughs> it can be really really funny yeah he's got a sense and of humor. and when he took what are we going to say a 65 foot shot there was 30 seconds left in the second quarter the uh, east already had 100 points yeah but he took a 65 foot shot give or take and the ball hit off the top of the literally the top of the backboard and after the game he said he's well i was going for a two for one he tweeted he liked, that at halftime oh he tweeted it at halftime, he <laughs> oh said two God. for one analytics. Oh my God! So Luca also Luca Luca's uh. as enthusiastic about analytics as he is about the All Star game. By the way, <laughs> but yes, honestly, the only yeah. surprise there is that he was that far off because the the dude, as he demonstrated in practice, has an unbelievable ability to hit trick shots. Oh yeah, Lucas Luca did two things with his phone at halftime. He made sure the jet was going to be the the engines were going to be on. Yes. <laughs> and he, he sent he out said that, that tweet. <laughs> More Hoop Collective podcast after this. All right. Anyway, uh, we mentioned earlier, speaking of uh, messes, we mentioned earlier the Brooklyn Nets changing head coaches. I don't think there's much to say here other than the um, Bon Temps. I got to give him credit. He called this out on December 27th. Yeah. The day that they uh, they shut it down against the Bucks, and he's been tracking their record ever since, which is six and six 18. and eighteen, baby. Bontemps, um, how many in your time in covering the Nets, or since you started on that beat, how many head coaches have they hired? How many Nets head coach press conferences have you been to? Well, does that include Avery Johnson having his own press conference after he got fired? He did the same thing in Dallas. Awkward, <laughs> one of the more awkward things I've ever seen. He did the same um, thing in Dallas. Let me see. Avery Johnson, PJ Carlissimo, Lionel Hollins. They had uh, the late Tony, I think he's passed away. Tony Brown, assistant coach. I think he's Tony Brown, the referee, passed away. Sadly. Oh, that yeah. was what I was thinking of. Tony Brown, Jeez. the referee. So Tony Brown, Tony Brown, the assistant coach for then I Kenny have 0.0 memory. No offense, Mr. Brown, as if you've not already been slandered. I have no That's recollection of, of him. Kenny coaching. Atkinson, five. Jock Vaughn interim. Oh, right. Six, Steve Nash, seven, Jock Vaughn, eight. So I guess seven if you count Jock Vaughn twice. No, count them both. And then uh, now Kevin Ollie is nine. Did you mention Jay Kidd? Oh, how could I forget? How could I forget that guy for so many reasons? So you, you, you <laughs> the came best, in. The best present I was ever given was Jason Kidd trying to pull a coup on the on the Mavs by going or the Nets by going to the Bucks. So yeah, Jay Kidd is 10. So Kevin Ollie is 10, I should say. You came in after what what year did you start there? I officially took over from the great Fred Kerber. Uh the first year they were in Brooklyn, the 2012-13 season. I was covering the the Nets a little bit at that time. I was living in New York City when Avery Johnson was fired. And I will remember back to back days, two amazing press conferences. One, the press conference Mikhail Prokhorov gave when he fired Avery Johnson, who was named coach of the month in November. We should have Bobby Marks on this while we're going down Nets memory lane. Oh, God. Yeah. There's there so uh, many stories from those Nets days. He, oh, man. So, the, so Avery Johnson won coach of the month in November, but by like Christmas time was fired. And Prokhorov came and gave a press conference. And I remember he was wearing a sweater that was probably worth $6,000. You always wear these zip up. You wear these like zip, zip up. Yeah, several camels died to make that sweater. So um, he goes, somebody asked him when he decided to fire Avery. And he goes, oh, maybe five days ago. It might even have been Bontemps. He was like, well, why did you just fire him now? And he goes, well, the snow. Yeah, he was in the hell skiing on Whistler Mountain in the yeah, he's like, British, the snow in the Rockies British Columbia. Was, the powder was great. And then, so they made PJ the coach. So the next day, PJ came in and had a press conference at a practice or something. And. I mean, look, PJ is now a friend. I mean, you know, I love him. And uh, so PJ is up there and PJ says one incredibly insightful thing and one hilarious thing. The, the first thing is he says, the only chance you have to, as a coach in this league, is to have the longest contract you possibly can for the most money possible and for all your players to know it. And I mean, which is true. Yeah. Like, like he knew, I mean, he wasn't like him. He knew he was only going to have the job for a little bit. And he was just saying, if you want to have a chance in the league, you got to have a, you know, you got the players to know you're not going to get fired. And then somebody said, well, hey, you're, you're, hey, you have a meeting with Prokhorov today. What are you hoping to get out of the meeting? And he goes, lunch. <laughs> and, you know, I just, you know, look, PJ was the right guy for that, to humor everybody for that job. But yes. um, 
All I'm going to say is, is that the Nets were 15 and 15 and thinking about being buyers of the trade deadline at one point. And that point being the morning of December 27th. Right. So hey, what Sean Marks is probably getting awfully good at these new head coach press conferences. He's he's had a, a handful. I think Sean Marks got a contract extension last summer. Good for him. So the best thing is to have a lot of money and a lot of time on your contract. He listens especially to when you have none of your own picks, because he gets right back to the Brooklyn Nets are in the worst possible position. When you talk about purgatory, purgatory is being a bad team that doesn't benefit from being bad. The Houston Rockets could not be happier with the Nets' misery because picks and swaps for, what is it, the next four years still from the James Harden deal? Mm -hmm. And honestly, Mm -hmm. look, you can't blame the Nets for signing KD and Kyrie. Every team in the league would have jumped at the opportunity to do that. You can argue, did you really need to bring DeAndre along with them and you know other things, but... The Nets got screwed on the James Harden deal coming in and the James Harden deal going out. How much better off would Brooklyn be if they wouldn't have been the middleman in the Harden to Philly transaction? Now, that is a fascinating, fascinating question. Yeah, because they they gave up all the picks. And then they got stuck with the albatross of the Ben Simmons contract. Plus, it went sideways sideways with Harden, which was the first domino. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to go to Philly anyway. He preferred Philly anyway, right? I'm not sure I totally buy that. I'm not sure I totally buy that one. Well, then why did he not sign the contract extension? Well, I think he might have gotten there and decided that maybe he liked Philly <laughs> better. Well, I don't I'm, know. I'm, I'm, but... I'm not, I'm, I'm not well, sure. I think he didn't timing. sign the contract extension at the time because there was a lot of uncertainty by uh, a guy that's been labeled as, a, I think, a humanitarian icon in Dallas by uh, my co-host. Okay. I'm just I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Listen, a lot of things but, went wrong in, in Brooklyn, and Kyrie was certainly at the middle uh, of a lot of the chaos. There, there's yes. no question there. But what you have now is a bad team that's trying to be good because if they're bad, it's nothing but embarrassing, and they don't benefit from it. And honestly, as long as you're going to try to get me in trouble with the Mavericks, that's the fear here If if things – if the worst case scenario happens and within the next couple of years, Luca looks around and says, man, gave it my best shot, but I'm going to have to move on to win. Then the Mavericks are going to be in a similar situation where all their first round capital is somebody else's property. And if, if the worst case scenario happens, just like it did with the sun or with the uh, nets, they have picks, but they have other people's picks. So they have draft capital, but them being terrible doesn't benefit them. And that's a it's a really, really tough spot to be in. Well, the thing is, they lost the game to the Celtics by 50 points last week. And um one of a series of very embarrassing performances over the past six weeks. Right. And so and afterward, Mikhail Bridges publicly expressed a lot of displeasure and also went on a podcast, Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart, and they openly talked about how the Nets were completely embarrassed at home in a game against the Knicks. And I can tell you, and if you've ever heard Bobby Marks talk about it. Uh, I don't believe the Knicks and Nets have ever made a trade, ever. And both those franchises, whoever's owning them, is paying a lot of attention to the other one. Yeah. And I'm sure that didn't sit well either. Well, and and you know that the Nets have turned down multiple suitors that would have given up a ton. A lot. Of, of uh, you know, I mean, they could have gotten an immense return in a Macau Bridges trade, and they didn't do it because they didn't want to bottom out, which gets right back to... Being bad is no benefit to them. Uh, he's got two more years on his contract. Will be very interesting to see how that whole saga plays. Well, out. The, the 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 problem with Bridges' contract, we've talked about this before, I think, but it's not really extendable. What I mean by that is he's he's below market value, yeah. and you could only increase a contract by so much. So even if the Nets were literally undefeated and he was averaging fifty points a game, and he was giving press conferences talking about how he never wants to leave the borough of Brooklyn and they were naming streets after him. Even if that was all the case, he, I don't think, would extend because it doesn't behoove him. It behooves him to go to free agency. And so that is something that they're going to have to wrestle with. I wouldn't say never. It's completely impossible, but it's going to be hard no matter what happens. And that that's that's true no matter what. And obviously, if you listen to that podcast, I don't think he's having a good time. <laughs> yeah. All right. One guy is the one villain over guy not with the Knicks. Right. One guy who is having a good time is Mike Conley. Interesting business got done over the All-Star break. 
Conley signed in a, a two-year extension with the Timberwolves, two years and um, I believe it was uh, $21 million. That is below the mid-level exception. And I am fairly certain that Mike Conley could have gotten at least a mid-level exception in the summer. And even if he didn't want to go anywhere, he could have just let, his, let, the, let everything play out. That is a win for the Wolves who really benefit from what he's able to do for them, especially offensively, which is where they, um, they struggle at times. We have talked in the past, and we don't need to go over the chapter and verse of their, of their financial cliff that they're heading towards. Mm-hmm. But getting Conley into this, into this deal now is a really smart move and sort of implies that they're going to still keep the gas pedal down bond temps, even though they really haven't even done the ownership transfer yet. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, without really breaking it down a lot, this was obviously a hugely important thing a year ago. Now to get Mike Conley is sort of the second half of the Rudy Gobert trade. And we can set aside the many discussion we had about why they didn't get him in the first place. They did eventually get him. And it's fundamentally changed the franchise. And I haven't done the math on what the record's been since then. They've probably had, if not the best record in the league, one of the two or three since then, because they were great the second half of last year. And they've been great this year with him at the helm. And I would liken this to the Al Horford extension, which was more or less the same exact number in Boston, where you've got a guy, terrific guy, terrific locker room guy, still a good player late in his career on a good team, in a situation he's happy with, saying, hey, I'm going to sign up for a couple of years to make sure I'm on a good team and not, you know, test out free agency and maybe I get some more money somewhere. 49 and 25, according to Jackson, since they got my con, that's pretty good. 74 games, that's a 55-ish win pace. I'm not going to test free agency and maybe I can get $15 million a year, but go play right. in some on some team that's not trying to win or is not going to be good. Instead, I'm in a happy situation. I ride it out and see what happens. And it it certainly creates a path, helps create a path for the Wolves to potentially be able to have most of this group together, you know, which is which is certainly a positive thing. And we just got to see what happens now in the playoffs. Yeah, and, and look, maybe Conley could have squeezed more out of the Wolves. Certainly he had leverage there, even though they did just uh, trade for Monty Morris. But he, he had leverage there just because he is so important to the success. But if he squeezes them for more, th- does it come at the cost of them cutting elsewhere? And it, this is definitely a situation where Mike Conley does not want to bounce around the league down the stretch of his career. You know, he's a guy who envisioned playing his whole career in Memphis. That's obviously not the way it's worked out. He was happy in Utah. He's a family man, moved his whole family. They've they've found a comfort zone in Minnesota, obviously on a team that has a chance to contend. And as as much as anything, this is a sign of just how happy Mike Conley is in Minnesota um, and signed a deal that at least gives the new ownership or the potential new ownership, I guess you should say, every opportunity to keep a team that's in first place in the West together. Yeah. So without getting into too many details, which I guess I'm getting into details, next year's luxury tax, the, the Wolves have basically barely paid the tax in the history of the franchise. Next year's luxury tax is at 172 million projected. That's within a month. They just go, they projected that. The first apron is 179 million. Right now, after this Conley deal, the Wolves are at about 187 million. So that is interesting. With Kyle see. Anderson hitting free agency. With Anderson and Monty Morris hitting free agency. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, the 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 reason it's so high is because. They have three enormous raises. They have uh, Jade McDaniels is going from $4 million to $22.5 for the extension that he signed. And Edwards is the big one. He's going from uh, $13.5 to $35 million. Mm-hmm. And then Carl Towns doesn't have a new contract, but his, his Supermax that he signed a year ago or so kicks in. Yep. And he gets a $13 million raise. So... Between, you know, between Towns, Edwards and McDaniels, they're increasing their payroll, you know, in the 40 to 50 million dollar range and not getting any new players. They have the same players that are now costing 40 to 50 million more. So that's why getting Conley, who is making 24 million, getting him at a little bit less than half of that is vital. But we weren't even sure that they were going to be able to keep Conley because even though it was seemed imperative, they were already in the tax or already in the tax before they did that. So and look, if they were messing around and playing territory like they were last year, they probably would have made financially motivated deals before the trade deadline. 
but they're not there. They're first place in the Western Conference, and they have earned the right to, you know, see how good this team is come playoff time and beyond. Well, look, we saw when we talked about it the other day. I don't think you were on this one, but Joe Lacob gave inter- an interview to Tim Kawakami from the Athletic last week. It was talking about the Warriors potentially getting out of the tax, right? If the Warriors are in the top four in the West right now, we wouldn't be worried about the payroll. They would be focused on just having as good a team as possible. Teams like Boston, Minnesota, Warriors, name the teams, with, especially with the new rules that are in place. If you're a conference, fi- cha- conference finals level team, if you're a finals level team, you're a championship level team, teams are going to spend money. Teams are always going to spend money when you're that good. If you're something less than that, that's when no matter what team you are, hard conversations are going to be had in this new system. And we've talked a lot about Minnesota for many reasons for that, but it's far from Minnesota being the only team that's in that kind of spot. And whether it's Milwaukee or Boston or all these teams, it's this is going to be a red line for a lot of teams. If they well, don't Cleveland, think they get past the second round, they're going to start to make moves. Cleveland and Minnesota are are sort of in similar places because they both sort of made the all-in trade, one for Gobert and one for um mm-hmm. for Donovan Mitchell. And Cleveland, if you look at them, they're all they have a little bit more runway, but they've got Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell uh right now on max contracts. And this summer, Evan Mobley and Jared Ellen are extension eligible. And, you know, if you look ahead to next year they're at 146 million that's before they'd have to pay mobley they'd have to increase allen and and you know they they would sign mitchell at the drop of a hat they would say if he showed any interest in extending they would fall all over themselves to hand him the pen and you know they have an owner who is extremely wealthy in dan gilbert but if you if you become a, a second apron team which is what they would become if they kept all these guys um, not to mention that they had already signed max Struess to a four-year contract at decent money and they've got isaac okoro who's having a very good year, who's a free agent this summer. Um, you get into a situation where you really can't afford to add to your roster, and they've already traded three, three firsts plus uh, three swaps uh, for, for Donovan Mitchell. So they're not able to get cheap labor, and even if they are able, even if they do um, have a year, they have a pick, they have, you know, they're not going to be able to control it. The pick is going to get pushed back, potentially. So... Um, that is a, a common thing that we'll see. And and when these rules were come up with, I don't think that you would have envisioned that Cleveland and Minnesota <laughs> right. two of the teams that would face the, the, the drama right out of the gate. Those weren't um, the franchises targeted by these rules. Right. But they are, which is, but, yeah. well, you know what though, what they targeted in general and yeah, they weren't, they weren't, they were specifically targeting two teams, by the way, Joe Lacob on the labor committee. So perhaps Joe Lacob had a, hand and making sure his payroll wasn't quite as high as it always has been going forward. You could say what you can do what you want with the word perhaps there. But what it is is they wanted they want a more NFL style system. That's what they want. They don't want teams to have tons of talent conglomerated on a couple of teams, whoever it is. And if you have teams having to make decisions on talented players, whether it's Carl Anthony Towns, if it's Minnesota, whether it's you know, name the expensive guy on the Celtics. Like if good teams have to trade good players to reallocate their resources, that means there's more good players on more teams. And that's that's exactly the system that they wanted to put in place. And we'll see if it continues to progress in that direction. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. All right, so we have the second part. I'm not going to say the second half because most teams have played 50 games. It's sort of the second part of the NBA season starting on Wednesday. I thought real quick before we would go, it was actually Bontemps' idea. We would talk about some of the things we're keeping an eye on in this last um, 20 to 25 games here for each team. And Bontemps, since it was your idea, you can start. I mean, to me, the thing to watch for in the league is just the overall health of all of these contenders in the Eastern conference, you know, we talked a bunch about how the East is a lot deeper this year and a lot better, but you go down the list and Chris Tasperzingis, we've talked about a lot. He's currently healthy, but he might be the most important player from a health standpoint in the league going forward this year, outside of the, you know, obviously if like the super elite player gets hurt, the team is screwed, but like he's Boston's most important player. When he's out there, they look like a totally different team. They got to manage that all the way through and get him all the way to late June. 
We'll see if they can do that. We'll see what happens, obviously, with the reigning MVP, Joel Embiid. Is he going to be able to come back? I think the Sixers are optimistic he's going to play. They're operating like he's going to play, I think. They get Buddy Heald. They get Kyle Lowry. See if they can add another bio guy or two. But, like, obviously their whole thing revolves around, is Joel B going to be out there? You got the Bucs. Chris Middleton is dealing with an ankle sprain. He's been up and down. Giannis has had some injury stuff. Dame has not always looked right. We'll see if they can just get their whole situation sorted out. But health's going to be a significant part of that. The Knicks had this incredible January. Literally every one of their top eight players got hurt in February. Six of them didn't finish. We're not able to play before the All-Star break. So what happens to OGN and Obi come back from the elbow surgery? What happens to Julius Randle with his shoulders? He can be able to play. Is he going to have to have season-ending surgery? Yeah, that's the thing about Randle that no one's really talking about. The Knicks, <laughs> they didn't say Randle was going to turn up fresh as a daisy uh, after the break. They were like, he'll be reevaluated In two to three weeks, which is either Thursday before the break or when they play in Philly tomorrow for pod listeners to open the to the post-break schedule. So we should find out by game time Thursday what the update on that is. But let's see what the update is there. You got Tyrese Halberton dealing with a hamstring issue. It, obviously, that's that's got a lot of ramifications between him making All-NBA to Indiana making a run, et cetera. So like you go up and down the East and just all of these teams are dealing with all of these injuries. And, well, and I didn't even mention Terry Rogier in Miami. Obviously, seems like he avoided serious injury, but he's going to miss some time. Jimmy Butler's missed a lot of time. Like, Mm-hmm. So much of how this Eastern Conference race is going to shake out is going to be dictated by health, and it's going to set up some potentially fascinating matchups if we get to mid-April and say Joel Embiid is able to play in late March and is ramped up by the end of April and they're in sixth place. There could be a scenario where they're in sixth and the Cavs and Knicks are in the two, three spots, and a lot of people will probably be saying Philly's the favorite to get to the Conference Finals if that's the breakdown, right? So. To me, that's that's the thing I'll be focused on in general is just what what is the health of these of all these various players in the East and and how does that impact what's going to be a very interesting race? Yeah, you touched on it, but mine is sort of a subtopic of that is that who gets the two seed in the East? The race for two is very intense potentially. Is it is it is it really that intense? It feels like it feels like your squad in Northeast Ohio is going to just glide away with it. I don't I don't think that's going to be true because while they have the two seed right now after winning 18 to 20, uh they have a very challenging portion of schedule coming up after the the second part of the season starts. They play 12 games in 18 days. They have four sets of back-to-backs and then they have a a, a real stretch in March where their schedule which has been very favorable for the last couple of weeks turns pretty harsh. They're going to take some losses in there. Also, some of their guys who were injured earlier in the season, like Evan Mobley, haven't been playing in back-to-backs. So they have they have that. And if you're Cleveland, getting the number two seed is imperative, especially after the way they struggled last year in the first round of the playoffs. The difference between getting a play-in team, although the play-in team could be... So uh, saying it's the well. heat right now. If, well, if it could be the heat. Up. It could be the heat. But certainly the difference between playing a play-in team and potentially Philadelphia with Embiid coming back is a little is pretty big if you're the two three. Plus the Cavs just need home court if they're gonna do if they're gonna do anything. You know, they're 19 and 9 at home this year. So they're only uh, 19 and 9 at home. Yeah, they've been a they've been a pretty good road team. Um, but they in but a, a number of their tough games coming up are they've at been home. the league's best road team. I was going to yeah. say, if they're only 19 and nine at home, they've got to have a great road record. Because, I mean, not that that's awful, but it's that's not really. Well, be that as it may, at home. a team that has inexperience and lack of playoff uh, success needs to play at home. And so, obviously, you get the two seed, you get a playing team in the first round, you get uh, home court in the second round, and, you know, you can avoid Boston. But while everybody's dumping on Milwaukee, and I don't, I'm not necessarily going to talk anybody out of it, including our. Um, our coworker JJ Reddick, who just trashed Doc Rivers on first take on Tuesday, Ooh, his former just, coach. The Bucks' defense the last ten games actually has gotten appreciably better, and their offense obviously has cratered. It's gone from like two or three to like nineteen since Doc Rivers took over. They're, that they're said, three and seven in the last ten games. Right. <clears throat> that said, I believe their offense will rebound and. You know, there's some nerd stats about shot quality, their shot quality. They're underperforming their shot quality right now, which Pelton would tell you means that they're going to start shooting better soon. And I just believe that like Dame Lillard has been in a pretty gigantic shooting slump ever since the first of the year. Nah, not according to the all-star highlights that I saw. Well, maybe this is where he turns around. Listen, Um, Doc's now four and seven with the Bucks. One of them's with the all on the all-star game. That's right. 
Uh, and their offense was no problem in that game, I'm sure. Doc Rivers should take a, take those schemes that he deployed in the All-Star two, game. And yeah, 211 right points. What do you mean? So I just um, I would be very careful uh, writing off the Bucks uh, with Giannis and Dame, uh, and I do think that there are some signs that they could. There's some seedlings popping up through the ground. So that's that's what I'm watching, McMahon. I think those are called fawns. Uh, I do not think that's true, but go ahead. With butt, isn't that a baby deer? <laughs> no. Oh, Damn fawns. <laughs> yes. Oh, a baby deer. No, a seedling is the beginning. No, of a- but they're bucks. They're baby bucks. No, keep calling. We're just pretend that didn't happen. His first year, a fawn. Yes, I know what the hell a, a fawn. Is. Yeah. First off, I thought you said fawn. Secondly, fawn. I was talking about a plant. What are we talking about? A, weekend? Who are you? Uh, having? An offspring. What is happening right now? <laughs> oh my god, that was unbelievable. You're talking about that thong, 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 thong. No, sir. F A W N. All That's right. a four-letter word. McMahon's all about the four-letter words. He hey, knows if it's those. a four-letter, if it's a four-letter F word, trust me. <laughs> he knows all about those. Fawn. Five yeah, those was my friend. Yeah. I struggle with it. Oh God, that was great. That was good <clears> analysis. What's your right. What's your thing, McMahon? What's your takeaway? Honestly, I'm pretty fired up for the uh, game. I get fresh out of the All Star break, Suns versus Mavs, because you know it's two teams that. Uh, I think reasonably can anticipate, certainly hope that they will finish stronger than than they started. Uh, the Mavit went into the uh, break on a six game winning streak. Um, they will see about Exum, uh, but the the hope was he'd be back, which means they will be fully healthy for the first time in forever. Um, and then you know we'll see about Bradley Beal getting his nose tweaked up during the all-star break, fixed up during the all-star break. had a little hammy before, but, um, you know, we'll see if he's healthy and stays healthy. But, you know, obviously when they've had those three guys on the floor for Phoenix, that's an awfully potent lineup. And both of those teams, um, you know, can it's, it's pretty easy to see either one of them finishing as high as five or I don't know, I don't know as low as nine might be stretching it. Although the Lakers are, are are playing well lately, but uh, you know that five to eight mix is is pretty much you know pick names out of a hat at this point. I do think that the Mavericks and Suns are the two best teams of that uh, second tier mix in the West, and certainly the two most dangerous playoff matchups. Just based on you know you you don't really want to see Luca in a playoff series. I don't think that the Suns don't. No, the Sun. Well, I mean, honestly, the Clippers have beat him twice, and but I don't think they're eager to sign up for that experience again. You know, he lit them up and and made both those series more competitive than they should have been just on paper. And you know, you, you don't want to see KD and Booker in a playoff series. And so, where those teams ends up end up is going to be very interesting. Um, I don't know. I'm assuming the top four, not the, that the order is set, but that you're not you're not going to be able to break into the top four. Although at some point, pretty soon, the Nuggets are going to have to decide that they're interested in playing out the regular season because they well, definitely put it into cruise control going into the break. And I was just pulling up the odds for this because obviously I figure we're going to talk about these West standings. So according to our internal projections, the the BPI stuff, the Wolves have a 64 percent chance by far the highest to be in the number one seed the clippers are projected with a 40 percent chance to be the two seed then the thunder basically the same as the three seed nuggets have a 0.4 percent chance of being the one seed a two percent chance of being the two seed an eight percent chance of being the three seed and a 44 percent chance of being the four seed wow based off that basically put it as a coin flip that they stay in the top four that's interesting yes which I mean, I assume they're going to be in the top four, but even if they're fourth, if you're the Clippers and Thunder and two, as we've talked about a bunch, right? Two smaller teams don't necessarily have the size to go up against either the Wolves or Denver. You got Minnesota and Denver on one side of the bracket. If it works out that way, that's a pretty good outcome for both of those teams. Yeah. The, you know, the flip side of that is you finish the season strong if you're the Suns or the Mavericks. You, uh, you know, you, you claim that number five seed and your rewards and you to, to, to play the defending champs. That sucks. Yeah. One other thing of note, um, 
So the Lakers are in ninth. The Warriors are in 10th. They're tied in the loss column. The Lakers have a couple more wins. They've only played each other once so far, which was that classic double overtime game in uh, in January where Steph had 46 and ripped his jersey. Remember? Yep. Um, oh, yeah. They were furious about the officiating of that game, but uh, yep. lost by one. Uh, LeBron had a 30-20-10 game. They play three more times. And so the tiebreaker and all those games are kind of worth double. So those head-to-head matchups could determine it. And like, say what you want. If that's the 9-10, whew, that is... That is interesting because, you know, both those teams are theoretically dangerous, but, you know, if they finish 9-10, one of them ain't even getting a chance to play. Well, and also, if that's the 9-10 and you're 7-8, there's some pretty major pressure on you to make sure you handle your business because you don't want to mess around in a win or go home if you're dealing with, you know, a a first ballot, no-brainer, former finals MVP Hall of Famer. And you're gonna who's still playing at that sort of level, and that's what you're gonna be looking at, whether it's LeBron uh, or Steph Curry. And pretty much the ten teams are we can come we we can I don't know if put them in ink yet, but we can at least not worry about finding an eraser for the pencil. Uh, Two and a half games between the ten seed Warriors and the eleven seed uh, Jazz, and obviously the Jazz don't exactly have the foot on the gas. Rockets are a game further behind. So we I think we know which 10 teams will be postseason participants and we in the West. And it remains to be seen who's going to be in the play-in and then obviously who's coming out of that as, as well as what all the seeds well, shake out to be. Well, and you kind of got three pods of it too. You got those top four teams that have more or less, we know what the top four are going to be. Yep. The Pelicans, Suns, and Mavs are sort of in their own grouping. Where uh, the, the Kings are just a half game back for the Mavs, so well, they're still I'm in that just, grouping. I'm just saying, projection wise, those mm-hmm. three teams are all in roughly the same area, and then the Warriors are actually projected to finish eighth ahead of the Kings and the Lakers, who will be at least projection wise in the nine wow. ten game. And That's I think part of that part of that is because Golden State has a much easier schedule down the stretch than either of those teams. I think, yeah, and. Um, you know, last 10 games of those top 10 teams, the Warriors have the best record. They're eight and two. A bunch of teams, including the Suns and Mavs, are seven and three. OKC's six and four. And the only teams that aren't playing better than 500 of the top 10 over the last 10 are the Nuggets at five and five and the Kings at five and five. All right. Well, speaking of getting back to basketball, we will on Wednesday. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast. Thank you to Jackson, our producer. Thank you to Bontemps and McMahon. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you later this week. Games aren't until Thursday, but that's okay. We're just rounding in a format for a rough oh, all I'm glad break. to take an extra day of no game. Thank you. I'm going to go to Croatia. <laughs> you enjoy that. Adios, amigos.